Hello and welcome to the Movie Moolah podcast. I, as always, am your host, Ben Yenny, and this is the podcast where we have serious people on to have serious conversations. Well, serious topics, often silly conversations, generally about the money of the film business. With me today is C.R. Capers, who is the head of the Harlem Film House. C.R., tell us a little more about yourself. Well, I am C.R. Capers. As you mentioned, I am the CEO, founder of the Harlem Film House. And what we do is uh, create and find access and opportunity for uh, marginalized creators around the world. So uh, we create um, festivals, workshops, a flagship festival is the Hip Hop Film Festival, which is now going into its ninth year. Um, we have our flagship uh, community program, which is called ACT UP, which creates ecosystems for writers, greenlit writers and uh, actors and creates uh, economy through local independent production. Um, we have our Harlem XR Metaverse, where we are doing film production um, in the metaverse and XR, AR, including AI. Um, so we do a lot for the community. There's some other uh, programs that we have, but it's all about access, opportunity, and equity and creating ecosystems. That's what we do. Well, that's fantastic. And uh, we all know that the industry could stand to be a little more uh, equal and not just in, yeah uh and not just in a uh perfunctory way i that might be the biggest word i've ever used on this podcast um <laughs> but uh how did you end up in film cr that's a good question um my daughter well uh, i digress um i ended up in film i've been in adjacent to it since I was born. Uh, my parents didn't allow us to watch television in our household unless there was a BIPOC creator um, associated with the project. So my the onslaught of media and propaganda that everyone else <laughs> was subjected to, I was not. So I grew up um, looking at the world from a very um, self-assured way. Um, and it wasn't until I got out into the world that I saw that everybody wasn't raised the way I was. And the biggest indicator of that was that the fact that most of the things that they learned, they learned from watching television. And they treated me according to the way they watched television. I um, got into film um, because I was doing a podcast back when Facebook and YouTube first started, not to age myself. And it got pretty big pretty uh it was pretty big and I um started taking my skills that I was using to film my daughter when she was a baby mm -hmm. um and applied that to making commercials for our podcast because I wanted to do something different mm -hmm. and um that led into shorts which led into docs and then we were able to distribute amongst our own community worldwide the podcast community that is and they brought, they were buying films. They were watching, listening. And then filmmakers of color used, would start coming up to me and saying, how are you able to do this? You're having movie premieres on 42nd Street. You know, this person and that person. And I'm like, well, isn't this how everybody does it? Again, hearkening back to the fact that I wasn't raised in the same constructs. And they were like, no, um, how did you do this and why? And that's how it led to everything that we're doing now on the social justice warrior. So it was like, okay, we have a big problem. Let's see how we can fix it with the tools that we have based on my experiences. Okay. That's, what was the name of the podcast? Why You Mad Son Radio. And it was, um, <laughs> yeah, it was called, you know, I'm hip hop. I was raised in the culture of hip hop. I wear that proudly. Um, but yeah, why you mad son is a, is a term that we use as a slang term to say, you know, why are you mad? Like what is bothering you? What is ailing you? What's wrong and what can we do to change it? So the theme was to try to get people to talk about social ills that's happening in our community, not in the global human community. Um, 
and, and see what we could do to fix it. So we talked about everything, uh, news, politics, social ills from an urban viewpoint. And uh, it was it was really popular. That's good. Um, given that you're speaking about it in the past tense, it sounds like you're not doing it anymore. Is there a reason for that or? I don't have the time. <laughs> Fair. I don't have the time and the market became oversaturated and yeah, I'm an early adopter. So mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that once everybody starts doing it, I'm on to the next honey, because you can't, you have to evolve, right? Mm -hmm. You have to, otherwise you die. And I, I, I want to continue to evolve. And there's so many things that needs to be done when it comes to media, propaganda, how people learn about each other, how we treat each other based on the media that we are seeing. Um, it had to evolve. Okay. So mm -hmm. diverse representation in the media sphere is a, uh, somewhat of a recent phenomenon uh did you just not watch tv growing up or were there any particular shows that were allowed to be watched in your household or where was that i'm not trying to date you i'm just uh age you here just <laughs> yes you eight. are yeah you're trying to get me to tell my age sir i will not have it no um no i'm happy i'm generation x probably mm -hmm. so i'm closer to 40 than i would like to be let's just put that out there right now mm -hmm. um but you know, the, the the TV shows that was very prominent in our home were um, Cosby Show. Not particularly mm -hmm. the Cosby Show, but a different world for me personally. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was key to my mother because she was a very, she was a staunch believer in education. Mm -hmm. And she wanted me to see what college would be like because she wanted her kids to go to school and it had a lot to do with my decision to go to school the movies I watched um were by black directors the Hudlin Brothers House Party Boomerang Bay Base Kids um and these all had specific themes and uh, moral cues that influenced me my mother understood how powerful that type of influence was so yeah that makes sense. I mean, like, I know one of the things that really set uh, the Fresh Prince apart, especially in its early seasons, was the fact that there was a lot of a uh, message to the show and a lot of uh, also a lot of music, but um, and a lot of hip hop culture to the show. But the yes. it kind of fell off, at least in that show after the first couple seasons. But yeah. <laughs> I thought I had yeah, I, I remember understanding the magic of movies mm -hmm. and the, how powerful it was when they replaced Aunt Viv. So they had, you know, mm -hmm. the original Aunt Viv, beautiful, strong black woman, Michael Fletcher, and so on and so forth. And then they replaced her with light skinned Aunt Viv. And mm -hmm. I remember my mom having to explain to me, you know, why this happened. And to a kid, that's like explaining, you know, why there's no Santa Claus. It's like there's a whole thing behind the machine so mm -hmm. it was like holy crap um but the one thing that we did that I knew that was not imaginary because I saw it all around me was black judges black lawyers black doctors private school I went to private school I was a debutante all of these I played the piano so I could relate to the characters it wasn't odd to me so um but that switch between the two people, that that was, I didn't like that. <laughs> As a kid, I didn't like that. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think many people like that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> we loved Aunt Viv, original <laughs> Aunt Viv, right? <laughs> Very true. Um, and don't, don't crack on my coffee cup again, I'm watching. I'm not gonna, I wasn't gonna do it again. I was only gonna do it in the pre-roll. You're the one who brought it up. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to take I had to take a sip. <laughs> Me too. Oh, and that's another thing. The only reason why I was able to see the best movie of our times was because a black man was playing Darth Vader. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been allowed to go see Star Wars. That makes sense. But at least voicing Darth Vader. Correct. Voicing yeah. Darth Vader. 
Now, when they took that helmet off and it was uh, a whole white man under there, that was another conversation that needed to be had in the household. Um, and I, I was enamored by movies and just the, the universes they created. Mm-hmm. You know, for my mom and them, they grew up civil rights era. So they were very intentional about what their child, children, family, how we learn. But me as a kid, I didn't care about none of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about race or anything like that. I have friends of all colors. So it it didn't I didn't really I didn't really understand it until I became an adult and was out in the world. Yeah, that makes sense. Have Do you think the landscape's gotten better for uh represent I that's the PC term just for uh accurate representation in media as to what the black experience is no i think it's gotten substantially worse i think that the powers that be have um caught on to what black parents were doing um with their kids by being the distribution hub for media in the home Mm -hmm. and then they started uh attacking the music amplifying certain messages over others um beginning to hire these same children of the civil rights movement um to degrade themselves and uh that whole reality tv phase um you know i was watching because you know when the real world came on there was a girl named tammy that was on there which was the only reason why you know i watched and um what i saw wasn't good and i was like what is this? I don't, I don't know anyone that's, that acts like this. Um, no. And it's only gotten progressively worse. So now the question is, how do we fight it? Like, I have a daughter. She hasn't been allowed to watch TV. And damn near, I would break a fingers if she touched the knob, honey. On <laughs> because it was it's just horrible. Um, and I thought that I could combat that by, you know, creating a space where she was tech savvy and she was learning, she was on YouTube and stuff like that. And that was back when YouTube was safe. Um, She learned Japanese, she was an artist, she did her crafts. And now I, even as she's, you know, 18 now, 19 now, I'm still nervous about what she's seeing and what I'm seeing. So I can imagine the rest of the world who have no filter on, the messages, the propaganda that's coming to them about how people who look like me behave. I don't have kids, but I have a goddaughter um, who's biracial. And she is... And every once in a while we watch her. um, And she... I can't... uh, she is so media literate, even though she's like, I don't know exactly how, I mean, probably should know exactly how, but I don't. Um, and I wouldn't say it if I did, but the, um, <laughs> she is a little astonishing to me how much of YouTube she does and understands, and she really wants to come over here and shoot some YouTube videos because I have a green screen. And that's just something that, like, the number one job today is for that kids want to be as a YouTube star, isn't it? Yep. So I was kind of rambling, and I don't know if I had a point other than to say controlling access to media, as your parents did with you, is a significantly harder job than it used to be because we all have access to an insane amount of content from a device we keep on us at all times. And most kids have from... I don't know how young these days. Yeah. With my daughter, it was a it was a fight. Um mm-hmm. because she wasn't able to get her phone until she was God, 16. Tiana, how old were you when you got your first phone? Tell she's here. <laughs> <laughs> how old were you? How old were you when you went away to college? I mean high school, right? My first phone was at the end of middle school. At the end of middle middle school. So she was mm-hmm. pretty, you know, behind into Mm -hmm. getting her own device. And even that we monitored with an iron fist, Mm -hmm. Um, probably just kind of 
just start relax relaxing in that space when she went to high school. Mm-hmm. So um yeah. Yeah, I mean it's so how much of that influenced you eventually starting the hip hop film festival? Well, if everything is coming out of the TV is detrimental to the moral fabric of the global community, I thought maybe, just maybe, I can try to change the narrative by uh, curating and collecting films from from that that I enjoy, that uh, uh, the type of stories that I grew up with, uh, the type of representation that is not seen on the TV but exists in in troves. Um, maybe we can get those stories out there. They're just as entertaining. They're just as good. Um, they're just regular stories about regular human beings, as opposed to some type of stereotypical, you know, BS that's out there today. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I could watch an amazing sci-fi movie with a diverse cast and a dope story as opposed to the real housewives of insert your city here i'm gonna watch that sci-fi movie right um Mm -hmm. and that's just what it's about so that's why the festival was started to and also to shine light on creatives who are just as good as the the three white men that run the entire industry (laughs) that need a chance too you know, mm-hmm. like the world is big enough. Like, don't you have enough, uh, 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 Mr. Caucasian, sir? Thank you. Can 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 we, you know, it's room for everybody. And it's not to say I'm anti-white and pro- I'm just, I'm pro-human. I'm pro-story. I'm pro-everybody. So, yeah, that's why we started the festival to, to uh, see different different stories and different narratives. Yeah, there's the way media used to work is that the goal of a network sitcom was to be to be 20 people's six out of 10, um, just enough to get them to watch it because there wasn't enough that much competition. And now the goal, the media ecosystem has become so fragmented. The only way to actually get any level of traction or or purchase there is to be four people's nine or out of 10 or 10 out of 10. That's the only way you can get picked up and discovered on the younger or uh, when your content and when your career is younger. And that has really caused a a kind of cataclysmic shift to the traditional Mm -hmm. media infrastructure. And I think that that is why a lot of those, um, I guess, three old white men are uh, kind of clinging to power and yeah. clinging to the amount of gatekeeping that they still have because a lot of things have changed but not quite enough to wrest control and democratize the system in the way we really need it to be and that was a little bit of a soliloquy, a soliloquy on my part but the i think it kind of speaks to what you're trying to say here is just the we need more voices out there and we meet need more ways to amplify those voices and create that content that is the nine or 10 out of 10, as opposed to that barely passing six out of 10. That's Um, correct. Um, The other part that I want, I really want to stress is that a dinosaur is a dinosaur. Okay. Even if it can move across the earth and with uh, two steps, um, the smaller players who um, are underneath the dinosaur's feet when are passed over once the dino- dinosaur uh, takes its step, they're gonna still live and create and do what they have to do. And because they are the many, they would there will be a seismic shift in the landscape. Like right now, the future of content is micro content. Mm-hmm. People are, become, you, you're able to subscribe to me. I don't have to go my folks don't have to come to the theater. I just have to produce engaging content or give them something they want to see. And mm-hmm. if I have a thousand people that will do that and it'll give me 25 bucks, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, a yeah, month, yeah. a month, 
And then I just keep going on that. What do I need a Hollywood system for? You don't. I mean, YouTube. I don't think YouTube is everything that Chad Hurley wanted it to be when he started it. But I do think it has had a profound impact on democratizing film distribution. And that and the iPhone. Yes, that was that should not be underestimated. You are correct. Um, But there is still an issue in gatekeeping, even with YouTube. It's less Mm. kept than it is. But it's kind of a more insidious form of gatekeeping. Um, Given that you make content that you make content that I don't think the algorithm would be too friendly to. Um, have you had any issues with uh, propagating your content? Oh, yes. Um, I'm probably shadow banned on every platform there is simply because we have such a large following. Mm-hmm. And it's why would, if I could literally reach my following with one post, then all the advertisers would be advertising with me. And not with Facebook, because I'm really the influencer, but they own the platform, right? So there's Mm -hmm. that balance. So in order for them to say, okay, you want your audience to see you eat and the content you made, you pay us. Mm -hmm. So it becomes, okay, well, you know what? Mm, I'm still going to use you for stuff, but I can take my, I, I can reach my, there's, hundreds of other ways I can reach my folks and my people and do what I want to do. Um, But you're right. It is very insidious. There are mechanisms in place to create FOMO within the creator. There are mechanisms Mm -hmm. in place to uh, make you feel like you are, to make you lose your self-assuredness, likes, views, reach, and all that. There's no need for all those numbers. I don't need to know how many people liked it. And why does everybody else have to know how many people liked mm-hmm. it? So it makes it 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 for the, I don't want to use that term. For those of that are not savvy to the trick, it mm-hmm. keeps them on that hamster wheel. And they don't know that all they have to do is create their own website and put that same effort and energy into growing their community. And they'll, They'll beat the algorithm. People beat algorithms every time. I agree with you to a point. Um, But before I forget, since we're right here, uh, also like, comment, subscribe. uh, If you have any. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't resist. Um, But the. uh... But my point there was more if you can't hit a certain critical mass it's almost impossible to get your voice to the point that it will be amplified and that's the biggest problem i see with the current infrastructure here it's not that you can just block people out it's that you can make them get lost in the noise and that's kind of why people like me still have jobs to a level yeah and to your point that is that is one of the biggest weapons we have, right? Is each other, partnerships, um, collaborative events, collaborative talks, um, uh, people like yourself who have large platforms being able to say, hey, let me amplify this voice. Even if it's just for that one time, mm-hmm. it's important. We are each other. We are the biggest weapon against it. Yeah. I mean, my platform isn't that big. Frankly, I'm more kind of work in a behind the scenes fashion in a lot of ways. But the a lot of the platform I have is because other people have platformed me. And it's one of those of trying to continue to pay it forward in a way. Right. And and that's why and that's why we're friends. I mean, mm-hmm. if you remember, how did we meet again? I think it was like during COVID. I reached out with an email, I think. Uh, No, no. I had sent out an email campaign um, after, during COVID and after George Floyd. 
And I saw that all this media money, all this money was going to these really big, quote unquote, black organizations that never did anything for black folk anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was fed up. And I was like, what about the people that are really out here doing the work? And I remember sending out this, I sent out this email to every distributor that I had information for from Sundance. And I was like, hey, if you want to help, please help you know, we have store. We are not asking for money. We just mm-hmm. need some distributors to just at least look at what we have and mm-hmm. say, if it, you know, see if you like it or not. That's it. Yeah. You were probably one of the three people out of probably 700 people that I emailed that got back to me and said, sure, I'll take a look at what you got. And I believe, and that's how our friendships. I think you're right. That does sound there. And also, uh, Another thing that is kind of important to uh, acknowledge here is even if you reach a person who's willing to listen to you in in a larger system or a a larger company, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have the political capital to really push forward and pursue that uh, business relationship, however it be. Like, I actually had to push a lot to get the work we did together done and we were a small company <laughs> and i was yeah. the ceo i shouldn't have had to push hard <laughs> right it. but it was a thing and i don't i think pretty much everybody in this business is a lot more risk averse than people expect them to be and that's a uh there's reason for it, but it can really hamper the discovery of new voices. Can, and out of seven hundred people, that the fact that only three people replied, um, and you being one of them, um, is very telling. Because you know I use Mailchimp, so I see who opened it, who read it, mm-hmm. and who immediately was like block. Um, and I had. <laughs> I was literally about to say, okay, because I was really in my revolutionary bag, honey, because I was mad. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, I'm about to name names and see everybody could see who said no. And y'all could really see how how, uh, bigoted this industry is when it comes to distribution and our stories. And we're not um, telling stories where we're outside on the street selling ass. Nobody wants to hear about it. but you were one of the 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 quality distribution companies as the CEO to have the wherewithal to say, I don't care about all of that. Do you have a good story to tell? Are you do you have good stories? Let me see it. And for you, it wasn't about race, it wasn't about George Floyd, it wasn't about none of that. It was just about do you have good stories over there? I like that one, send me that. Let's see what we can do. And I just had an immense respect for you because that's all we want. That's, that's all anyone wants is to be treated like a human being. Yeah, thank you. Um, first, that might be the biggest compliment anybody's given me on this podcast. So, thank you. Um, <laughs> the I will say that while quality always does play in, and we always are looking for good and gripping stories, it's not all the game is about the uh, independent film distribution. I mean, we do yes. also need to have a marketable story one that we can identify an audience for and actually get out there it's not just good story although that's kind of at this point a floor um Mm -hmm. we also need to have strong marketable genres strong and a filmmaker who's at least when i'm working with somebody i want somebody i know is gonna work with me and actually help me get their voice out there because yes. a good distributor, at least in these days, is a megaphone. We don't create your voice. We just amplify it. And that's what we try to do. And that's, I believe, to a level what festivals try to do as well. Exactly. And I think that there is this, not I think, I know that there is problem with how we are perceived um, I can't tell you, I have so many horror stories. I've been doing festival for not going into our ninth year. And every year you just get a slew of, well, not all, 
but you get filmmakers who are so gut darn entitled. They think that once they make the film, oh, they can lay back and it's pillow princess time. They don't want to work. They think that we're supposed to bring their audience. We're mm -hmm. supposed to do all of these things, these things. And their name is not Tarantino, Spike Lee, or Brad Pitt. And even mm -hmm. then, when they were started out working, they still had to do the work, right? They Just still do the work. Film, they still do the work. Just because you make a film does not mean that's the beginning of the process. Finishing, mm -hmm. casting, that's the beginning of the process. The mm -hmm. film festival and the distributor are marketing tools for you to get what it is you want to get. You need to, and particularly if you're a Black filmmaker, no one's checking for you. So you have to come with your marketing plan. You have to come with your audience already. You have mm -hmm. to come with numbers of the festivals that you've been in to say, hey, listen, every show I had, I sold out. So I know that if I'm with a distributor, I can tell them whatever network you put me with, we guarantee you subscribers because that network, in my opinion, doesn't care about your story. They care about subscribers, honey. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong? We do care about subscriber subscribers. We we want to see your audience and that you have the ability to reach them. It's not the only thing we care about, but it's a major bonus. Another thing is we want to know the person, the the people we are working with directly have mm -hmm. control of the access to that uh audience because there are sometimes some other films that i've worked on where we worked with filmmakers who cast influencers and then those influencers wanted absurd payments to yes take a picture of themselves with the dvd and mm -hmm. that does us no good and those things should yeah right and those things should already have been worked in um, with the casting contracts, they have mm -hmm. to do, they have to, they have to do the press tour. <laughs> if it yep. gets picked up, that should already be baked in. So that's one of the things that we do at Harlem Filmhouse is working with the filmmakers as they're coming through the festival process to say, you need to have these things in order. Mm -hmm. And if you do not, I don't care how good your story is. I'm not, I can't present you to a distributor. Number one, you have to have a you have to have a certain attitude. You have to have a good cast and team. Everybody needs to be on deck to promote and do what they have to do. You have to understand what the distributor's goals are. You have to understand that the distributor and the festival are, like you said, amplifying. But we're not in charge of your success. You are. Yeah. No, the and the, the thing is, if you make your distributor's job easy, they're going to get more for you. Because we all mm -hmm. only have so speak much. Speak on energy. it, Ben. What? Oh yeah. We I all said, please speak on it. We every person on this planet has a finite amount of time and energy, and if you and when you're running a distribution company, if you want to get films out there, you only have so much you can devote to each individual film, and. There might be a little bit of a pool that you reserve in case something really gets traction so that you can put more into what's already working. But you're more likely to get to that pool if you, if the filmmakers have really helped you build it. And also, if you just like somebody, there's an innate human desire to help people you like. And I'm not necessarily defending that. There is a, that, that does become a root cause of nepotism i'm just acknowledging that it's true and yeah it's i can tell you unequivocally ben that there are some amazing projects that have come across my desk i mean amazing like i would stand 10 toes down for it but the leadership of that project was problematic whether they were misogynistic um libelous, slanderous, um, just horrible people, or they were just people that wanted to take, 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 and take advantage. It's mm -hmm. like, yo, this is a dope mm -hmm. project, and you might have some great people, but the leader 
is what killed the project. And I don't think mm -hmm. people understand mm -hmm. how crucial relationships are to this process. You have to be about your business. And if you're about your business, you don't have time to be, to be selfish um, when it comes to putting out the story and caring for the people that you employ. Because you just killed everybody's hope and dream because you want to have a bad attitude and be not a per and be a person that people do not want to work with. Yeah. In the end, this industry, unless you make it to the top three white guys who run the entire industry or the uh, just general 0.1% of it, um, it's not as well paid as you think it is. It's because of that. We do this because we love it, not because we are obscenely well compensated. And right. if you do something for the love of the game, the people you work with are paramount. And liking the people you work with is paramount. So, and not the studio. Just, yeah. Just, right. Folks like us, I don't have no yacht. Mm -hmm. I have no yacht in the background. You know, I'm not living on Park Avenue. Um, mm -hmm. I have a little small office. And, but I'm happy. I'm super happy with the work that I do. And I would do it all over again and again and again, each and every lifetime. Um, when it's right, this work is super satisfying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's when like the, the best right thing ever. Look, yeah, I'd make, the right relationships. I would make so much more money if I still sold insurance, but I also hated my life and I don't now. So that's do you know I left a six figure salary to do this? to empower others and mm -hmm. to uh, basically watch movies and, and talk crap with my friends and have shenanigans and have great conversations like this. I mean, this is, this is the life and the universe provides as long as I stay in service. Mm -hmm. I, I stay in service to others. Um, things work out and I'm, I'm provided for and I'm taken care of by this work. Um, I'm serious about it. I am intentional about it. Um, and I was severely unhappy when I was working for someone else making six figures. I hated it. I hated it. I I really do understand. And there's a... I've had a couple of job offers since I left Mutiny. And I've, I haven't taken them because I knew what they would entail, basically. And that's what it is. I'd much rather continue to be the consultant and get to go to Berlin and France every Berlin and Nice every year and that part that's that's so seriously here's the thing you go to these incredible destinations and then you spend all week in a dingy basement so <laughs> trade-offs yeah, yeah. Trade <laughs> you know I I can't tell you um I don't know how it happens, uh, but I have great relationships and I do great work here. I, I will say that. But I've traveled the world and, mm -hmm. and done things that I just thought of. They've, I were able to manifest them just by being in service to others. Um, there hasn't been, oh my God, my, my, my passport looks crazy since I've been in this business. And I love it. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it. I would love to be in a dingy basement in Prague, you know, eating eating maybe food not that Prague I never thought right about. Now, well, but... well, maybe not. Well, okay, right. Okay, in <laughs> France. Yes, I'd um, love to in... be in a dingy basement in France or any other space, um, because you get to learn so much about the cultures and mm -hmm. how you can assist and be of assistance in these different spaces, particularly when you're talking about. Um, people who were raised in the culture of hip hop globally. Mm -hmm. When I, it wasn't until I got out of this country that I realized how beloved and loved people who look like me really are that represent mm -hmm. 
this specific genre because these people outside of this country grew up with the golden age of hip hop before mm -hmm. it turned into the rap music took the direction it did when the corporations took it over. Mm -hmm. They grew up in the, with the true uh, a culture. So when I step into spaces internationally, baby, it's a whole new experience, mm -hmm. a whole new experience. And it keeps us going. It keeps me going. It keeps me um, invested. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. It's Having people appreciate you for your work is really add so much more life to this business and to sticking through the hard times like yeah um i'll get to a story on that but i do want to say the the basement wasn't actually dingy i do that as a joke just in case somebody from con or uh the palais is watching this it's not dingy it's wonderful i love it anyway um the <laughs> but like comment subscribe the um so the I per, I am an executive producer on a movie called I Am Lisa. It was a film we released through Mutiny. It was a kind of a stealth hit. It was it's great. I love the movie. It's almost a uh, lesbian superhero story, but a werewolf story. It's 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 great. It's there's no actual superpowers other than you know the supernatural abilities of a werewolf. But her origin story is very much small town lesbian and i think that that is what really took it to the level of success it got um mm. people disagree with me story. but um i maintain oh. that that is true um the um it's probably not the only thing but i do think it was a contributing factor um but my name is on it and apparently and my last name is uncommon it's a uh, yenny yes there are, I know of one person who has the same last name, who is uh, also in the industry, weirdly, um, but is not directly related to my clan, um, for right. lack of a better term, and maybe not the best word <laughs> to use here, but the um, C, <laughs> not K, um, but the, her name's Ashley, a um, Ashlyn, and she was in the Human Centipede of all movies. Okay but um oh my god the, i remember that movie yeah i know oh. anyway um that was the early days of netflix when everything on there was like the, the human centipede I oh yeah it. it was it was a it was a dark and hilarious time um but the uh i loved it it was like the it was like the modern day Tubi. valid comparison it was known the past Tubi is what is now what netflix used to be Yes, that's that's a good way of putting that. Anyway, to cap off that story, um, one of my uncle's friends said, hey, do you have a, does someone in your family named Ben? Because I watched this movie and then that got back to me and that like made my week. Um, but yeah. And he brought that up to me literally at my wedding. So that was just... Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Anyway, uh, sorry, I, that was meandering to get to that <laughs> point, but it was, I hope, a fun story. Um, the... That was a very fun story. And I learned more about you. I learned that there's only one other Yenny in this industry. See, I really, if Ashlyn, if you see this, reach out. I'd love to have you on and we'll like do an ancestry test to see if we're related. I think that'd be great. Um, that would reveal be cool. it on there. I think that it would, would be, be great. Cool. Yeah. Um, I watch. But yeah. Um, anyway, so where where was I? Um, I don't think I was talking uh, about gang. I forgot Stone. what we were talking about. But I do like the fact that we were talking about Netflix and Tubi. Yes, that's a good. I like that. I like to. that little that little thing that we had just there because I yeah. literally just realized that in this moment when I the Human Centipede, I used to go to my friend's house out in Maryland. Mm -hmm. Just to chill out the weekends. And that's when I saw the human centipede and Netflix was kind of like this thing. And we would just sit there and watch the movies on Netflix. And they were so bad that they were good. Like 
we would be like, who is creating this shit? Oh, sorry. Who's creating this stuff? Oh, we're well past 20 minutes. And, You're good. Okay. Who's creating this, this stuff? And like, oh my God, we couldn't stop watching. So I remember the human centipede being one of the things that we were just like, you know, huh. And then of course, I realized the trick to having a streaming service is obviously original content that you can um, invest in, right? So you get mm -hmm. all the subscribers, you get people on, you you get all these BC movies, put them on there, let people watch, and then you gather enough money so that you can create your own house of cards, right? And then that mm -hmm. then sets the tone for the direction that the streaming service is going to go. So I'm watching this happen now with Tubi. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about the Tubi model is that they're aggregating, they're, they're taking all this content and they're aggregating and they're specifically pushing it into the Black community. Mm -hmm. Tubi is built on the back of Black content, mm -hmm. BC Black content. Now mm -hmm. they're starting to get a little better as they're beginning to invest. But what's what I hope does not happen, but it normally happens is that when they do get uh, their house of cards, they're gonna throw all the black content out the window and then not invest in better con black content, but then try to mimic those three white men in the sky that run all the media. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. That's where someone has to say, okay, if you're going to build this entire network on the back of BIPOC content and people, and not pay them, then when you get that money to invest, you need to invest in that same community, those same people, those same organizations, those same uh, uh, everything around it. You know how many times we've asked for sponsorship from Tubi? I have quite a few. I, I'm guessing. And they told us no. Yeah, well. But yeah, you will time. not support yes. a Black festival. You will not support Black organizations and BIPOC organizations, but you are taking all, you're making all your money from us, but you don't want to give back. I see you, Tubi. I see you, Mr. Tubi. But that's the same story with every single network, every single studio, every single streamer. This goes back to, um, in New York City, they have this network called the WB. You remember the WB? Yeah. Remember when they first came out and they had the the, the frog carrying on? Yeah. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the shows were black shows. And I know because that's when my mother would let me watch TV. And as soon as they made that advertise, those advertising dollars and were able to invest, here come Dawson's Creek and all of these white folks. And you couldn't find any story that, uh, reflected us at all. Even if they thought the, the ones they had on there was trash, they didn't invest in us at all as a thank you just for saying, hey, thank you for building up our advertising cache. So now we can create more programming. Mm -hmm. No, you're this right. It's... And it happens over and over again. So I am for the revolution. Burn it, throw it away. So there is an interesting side effect to what's going on mm. with Tubi, though. Um, BET and All Black have really been elevating their content because mm -hmm. Tubi ate their lunch, basically. Yes. And that seems like that unintentional side effect might actually have more of a profound and lasting impact than Tubi itself has had if they go the direction that sounds reasonably likely that um, others have followed. Oh, yeah, they're definitely going. Yeah, they're owned by Fox. Yeah. So yeah. to your point, all, uh, BET is owned by Viacom. Uh, so it's, it is what it is there. Is it Viacom? I thought it was Fox Network, which is Disney now. Who knows? What yeah. are the three white men in the sky? Anyway, yes. it ain't black home. All black. I have to do my research. I don't know who owns them or AMC. who's making this. Okay, AMC. Again, one of the three white men in the sky. They're, they're a smaller network out 
that they're a smaller collection of channels and companies than most of the others. Um, right. It's which it's mainly AMC, IFC. It's AMC Network, so AMC, IFC, Shutter, and All Black, and I'm sure I'm forgetting one or two, but it's not like the others where we're talking about hundreds of channels. We're talking about right now. I like you know. AMC. The yeah. content that AMC, there's certain channels like that that they put out and that they invest in. They tell mm -hmm. diverse stories anyway. The Walking Dead, mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. You have me at hello, right? The mm -hmm. stories they tell are beyond what someone's skin color is. It's about mm -hmm. a human story, everything that they do. So their investment in all black, I'm with it. And mm -hmm. shameless plug, if I may, um, they have a, a show that is coming out that all 50% of the alumni from Harlem Filmhouse were hired to be writers and directors on that part. Now that's what I like to see, honey. We are having a virtual conversation with all of them um november the 10th or something like that i gotta i'll i'll make sure you have the information mm -hmm. but it is it's wonderful to do that so a company like all black i can promote i feel okay mm -hmm. promoting because why i see that they are investing in the community to tell more stories and more stories and more stories and they're not just being used you know what I'm saying? To create an yeah. advertising catch to invest in everybody else. Totally. And I think like, uh, I think Reach TV is pretty decent on that too. They're mm -hmm. an odd sort of distributor. But uh, have you flown in the past year or two, like gone through an airport? Yes. I literally just got off the plane the other day and I saw that they had a whole um, channel on the flight. Well, flight was, I was on American. American had a whole channel uh, in, in the in the heads in the in mm -hmm. the seat rest for uh, the American Black Film Festival. Now, I have my gripes with that. We won't say nothing, but um, we'll save that for the afters. The fact that it was there. Mm -hmm. Say that again. We'll save that for the afters, but um, reach TV if if you like on the TVs in the airport itself, less on the plane, um, is generally okay. at this point almost always uh, reach TV these days, and that company was started by a man named Linwood Bibbins, um, mm -hmm. and he is a uh, black person, person of color. I don't know what I'm supposed to say there, but black um, man. he's a black man, um, and the. Uh, he is, and a lot of that actually shows through in the channel if you on the screens if you pay attention to it. A lot of their, um, <laughs> like, next time you're in How can we get connected with this guy? Come on, yeah. baby, I need to uh, connect me with the um, airport yeah, distribution. Yeah, offline, but yes, I, I can probably do yeah. that. The, um, <laughs> yeah, he's you. a, uh, I met him through Clubhouse, thanks to the sadly late tanya curse um but yeah um but wasn't they clubhouse are awesome what i said wasn't clubhouse awesome clubhouse was awesome while it was in its heyday it's kind of past though but the uh um, oh yeah not now yeah I'm talking no. about covid time yeah it was it was fantastic i um but yeah linwood is a uh really good guy and it's really nice to see that even though he's found a pretty high level of success with this company um he still elevates black voices and black faces in a non-patronizing way at least that's how i read yeah it. but yeah um, and i think that i think that that's important um you know i, I this the, the black, white, Asian conversation does get tiring. Um, but even more tiring is being excluded because you're black or Asian, whatever it is. Um, but I like that you said that he approaches it in a non-patronizing type of way. Like, can we just approach stories from a human perspective? Can we approach opportunities from a human and relationship respect perspective? It's... It it starts with something as simple as 
when you have like uh models reading something for the airport having them be people of color and not making a thing about it it's just it's that's one of i'm i'm having trouble thinking of an exact way that he does this i just remember thinking it as i watched it at the airport bar so lots of reasons that my testimony is not valid um but the um, <laughs> so i think that we've uh we mentioned that we wanted to talk a little bit about uh alternative distribution models um right as a film festival founder and uh mm -hmm. advocate for filmmakers what do you see coming down the pike in the industry um i micro content i'm a i'm a huge advocate for micro content and people being in control of distribution that the distribution goes back into the hands of the people mm -hmm. um and there'll always be a struggle because unfortunately the people do not control the plat the major platforms that the content is distributed on i see that there will be a struggle between the creatives and the platforms where there is an opportunity for another entity to come about that will democratize the experience. I'm talking about apps like Fanbase or things like Maestro, uh, platforms that have no skin in the game except they are representing only as tech and software. Use our mm -hmm. software, give us you know a tiny percentage of your mm -hmm. creative space and we'll make room for you because it's not, it doesn't cost $50 million at this point for a well-funded company to run a server farm or a mm -hmm. cloud. Um, you got AWS. And once you know how all of these things work and you really research the prices of it, there is an opportunity for a player to come in um, and someone who's well-funded and who really has a creative, the creator in mind to say micro, uh, Micro distribution is the future. Put the power in the hands of the creative. We'll take our ten percent off the ticket or whatever they is they want to do or the sale or whatever, and go from there. You have people who can do on demand um, distribution, like we were doing years ago. That, mm -hmm. that we created our success from. You can do uh, subscription models, personal subscription models, and you just need a a a, a, a software that you pay just to be the database and do the recurring charges like and that's so, such that's a small overhead it sounds like what you're talking about is something of a mix between patreon youtube and maybe quibi um which none of us like to think it about. exists right now it's called fan yeah. it's, it exists right now it co it's called fan base okay um i'll have to check that out uh, and, and models models like fan base Mm -hmm. um are are basically the future now you see and the reason why you know it's working and that it is dope is because all the majors are now trying to mimic it mm, that's true from from x formerly twitter to uh, instagram to tiktok to Pico, mm -hmm. all of them are now saying oh subscriptions get people get people to subscribe to you but then they're still taking a big chunk of it and they're still suppressing they're still shadow banning right that's so it still yeah, doesn't that's... make sense to go with them. so i don't so know if you get the only fans but it sounds mm -hmm. almost like only fans it is just like only fans okay just so... like that okay but yeah but fan base is um there's no there's none of the the, the fan base stuff i mean uh, the only fan stuff on there Mm -hmm. But it is being used by on, uh, creative entrepreneurs to gather their fan bases and keep 100% of their earnings while earn on top of that. So micro micro distribution, I believe, is, uh, is going to be a, a major contender. But it will, because it's so small right now, and it 
and people are married to the brands that they use like Facebook and Twitter and all that other mm -hmm. stuff, it will be a fight. Um, how the, what the outcome will be, I do not know. Amazon but I'm is actually going to be the biggest one. Um, but I'm rooting for the little guy, though. <laughs> I, I am, too. I mean, honestly, I don't know how possible it's going to be for any new company to really emerge, given the uh, functional oligopoly that we find ourselves in, both for tech and, and film distribution. But I do think that something's going to have to break up and change just because... People right. younger than us aren't watching movies. Lost you, right? They're not. You're there. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> my no phone worries. is ringing during the middle yeah. of the damn meeting. I forgot to put the do not disturb on. Sorry. Happens. Don't worry. Um. The uh. So, just people aren't watching movies like they used to, and I don't think that those of us within the industry are really reckoning with that the way we need to. I think you're right about yeah. micro content. The big thing is who's going to get that first mover advantage because that's what really is going to set them apart. Um, right. Yeah. I think that, so you remember the singer Isaac Hayes? Yeah. So his son started Fanbase. Okay. He's so far raised about $5 million crowdfunding right? Crowdfunding. I'll send you the link offline. Okay. Mm -hmm. Five, all close to $5 million. He got banned from every single social media platform, including LinkedIn, just because he was saying, um, keeping track of, you know, how the stuff, you know, people follow him from all over or on different platforms. Everybody has multiple platforms. Oh, yeah. But they have banned this black man because he talks about, um, you know, what his journey has been raising this this money for micro uh, distribution and putting power back into the hands of creators. They are so scared, and then they ban him, and then they study him, and then uh, you'll find Replicate his the model take a much bigger cut. Yeah, no, the it's definitely. But look into it. It's called fan base. It's super dope. I'll have to look into dope. that. Yeah. Okay. Well. This is fun, and honestly, I could talk to you for hours, but... I know you um, could. I could talk to you, too. <laughs> um, but I think we should probably move to the uh, three questions I close out okay. with all my guests. Close out time. Let's do yes. it. And the first question is, what are your top three favorite movies as it stands right this second now? They can change okay. in 30 seconds. But just what are you vibing on right now? My top three favorite movies um, never changes full time. Oh. Air, airplane. That's airplane. great. Yeah. First time somebody mentioned that, but that's great. Hollywood Shuffle. Okay. By Robert Townsend. And it's a toss up between um, Star Wars and the Five Heartbeats. For the third place. The Five Heartbeats? I'm not familiar with that one. I'm going to send it to you. That sounds great. Okay. <laughs> so then, second. Um, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, doesn't mean you have to change anything. Just a piece mm -hmm. of advice for your younger self. Right. What would that advice be? And when would it, you give it to yourself? I would give myself the advice that attention is not love. Attention is not love. And I would tell that to myself when I hit the age of 15. That's really powerful and good. Uh, and I won't ask follow-up questions. So the... Third question, and probably the hardest of all of them. Where can people find you? And what would you want from, uh, if somebody from this podcast were to listen to you, or were to contact you, what would you want them to talk to you about? Well, you can reach me at harlemfilmhouse.org. And you can also email me at info at harlemfilmhouse.org. Um, 
if you were to reach out to me, I would want to talk to people that's interested in having a conversation around sustainability, advocacy, and support, because that's what we need in order to continue doing the work that we've been doing um, close for the for the past nine years more. Um, we are really about advocating for uh, and providing access and equity to others mm-hmm. uh, and being of service into the creative community globally, regardless of race again. Um, but we need your support to do that. So it would be a plea for people that want to partner or make introductions or donate. We are 501c3 and we need your help and support to continue the work that we do. CR, thank you very much yes. for joining me. Um, this Anytime, been... Vinny. <laughs> this has been the Movie Moolah podcast. I, as always, am your host, Ben Yenny. If you enjoyed this content, please like, comment, subscribe. Have to do it. Um, The uh, and also check out my free independent film business resource pack, where you'll get two free eBooks, which are the State of the Film Industry Report, which has tons of macroeconomic data on the film industry and the entrepreneurial producer. So, and a lot of other goodies, including an investment deck template, and this video is already long enough. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week.